Hello, everybody. Welcome back to BYOB. That's Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. Today, I'm joined by the Prince of Podcasting, the Beast of Broadcasting, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Ben Haynes. I'll take that. How are you doing? Oh, let's go. I'll tell you what, Beast of Broadcasting, that works because it's, you know, it's Halloween, spooky season, all that. Yeah, SZN. very nice. Well, um, what would you like to, what would you like to be? The, uh, um, we did Monster on the Mic last week. The, um, maybe I could be, be the, the plague bearer of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> just going with the alliteration it's thing. Just, you the know, guy, right? just the guy that brought in the virus. Yeah. <laughs> you're, the guy from, you're the guy Wait, from 28 Days Later. He gets the, the bird, picks it, the, the sort of body, and it sort of flicks in your eye. Get away from me! <laughs> <laughs> what a film. What a film. We've got to be so doing good, that one. Yeah, We've got we to be doing to that do one that, in this yeah. season. Um, I want to say to you, though, mate, but talking about plague bearers. Right, I uh, I've recently read a book that was set around in the kind of 1600s and everything like that, and there's, there's so a section. Well, well, no, no, it's actually it was a it was like a fiction book. It was a you know it was like a was Mills and Boone romance. Pretty much, novel. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a Robert Harris book called Act the of Zombie Oblivion. being taken roughly in the barn. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, what is it? Prime Prejudice and Zombies, isn't it? That's yeah. a big film. Isn't it? Um, but they, they, they were talking about the plague in this, and it was going. I mean, number one, what a terrifying time to be alive. Like, I know we've just gone through COVID and everything, but I think our kind of comprehension, the fact we've got mass media, all this type of thing, we we were at least able to kind of keep updated, order pizzas. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're talking the 1600s when it was like literally stay in your house. And if people die, put them out the front door and those terrifying men with the big bird masks who are patrolling the streets will come and take them away. <laughs> like, it's so scary. Like, it was supposed to have been so scary. So I read, a, I read a thing, and I don't know if this is in any way true or not. I could be making this up. But basically, like, one of the symptoms was you'd have, like, a sickly sweet smell oh. when you got it. And people were like, oh, what's that nice smell? And then their families would like know that they had the plague. Okay, mum, time to, time to put you in the back room. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just this dinner that I'm making. You oh. go out to the back and I'm just going to grab this shovel. Oh, no. <laughs> right, so it's I'm going to put you on the spot straight oh, away. Oh, Let's go. Your favourite ever kind of um, virus that takes over films immediately. Ooh. Immediately, I guess, 28 days later. I think that's Comes up to mind. There. Is that above Comes I Am Legend for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big time. Big time. Okay. So let's play this game. If 28 days later is there, I Am Legend is beneath it. Contagion. I don't even know if I've seen that. Oh, my God. You've got to watch that. I watched that during COVID, which is the most stupid thing I've ever done. <laughs> I literally watched it because everyone's like, oh, this film's talking all about it. And then I watched it and I was like... Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I have seen Contagion. God. Great film. Yeah, yeah. It is really good. And it's really... One of the great things... Can I do a real tiny... What's the one with Dustin Hoffman in it? Oh, good question. Outbreak. There we go. Got Outbreak as well. See, I haven't seen Outbreak. I'll have to give that a go. Um, I Am Legend is good. Um, Obviously, Children of Men, very good. Um, World War Z. uh, World War Z. Bird Box, when it came out, was actually like one of the first Netflix ones that came out that you were like, oh, this is actually a good film. Is that... So that's the one that's kind of like 
a quiet place, but people are blind instead of deaf, right? Yeah, and but people who I mean, people aren't deaf don't... in a quiet place. The one character was, but yeah, and it, the people with the um, you had to wear a blindfold because if you didn't and you made eye contact with people that could sort of see, as it were, then you went kind of loco. Well, that's like um, have you ever seen that? Okay, so here's here's a here's a good old one, mate. Day of the Triffids. Do you remember? No, do, I mean, I, do you know? I I, I I watched that as, like ages ago as a kid, and I genuinely like the old seventies one. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think it was like a BBC. Yeah, yeah, it's maybe. an old BBC one. I, I've recently just bought it on Blu-ray. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. But you know, like I was talking to you about, like with threads and like Pender's Fen and things like that. Yeah, those kind of grim seventies scary things. This definitely falls into that day of the Triffids because I just remember watching it as a kid and it it terrifying me it properly terrifying yeah. me yeah and there's something there's something about i was talking to i remember an old mate of mine uh, at university on, on the same sort of on the same course as me studying film and we were talking about like why is it that horror films that actually look a bit shit like where the the practical effects or whatever actually don't look very realistic that actually makes them a bit more scary a bit more sinister in a way a bit more weird do you do, yeah, does that happen to you because yeah. i think sometimes they look too polished the other one do you mm. know what I, mean? I don't like when it looked too polished i actually popped out on the the, the uh twitter account earlier on just kind of like the question like that we spoke about last week does it make you does it take you out of a film when suddenly there's this kind of like weird CGI stuff or does it scare the life out of you? I imagine, I'm not not sure whether anyone's answered it yet, but I imagine in the most part people are like more scared when they, with practical effects, very more sort of real life stuff. D- definitely. You just spoke about um, I Am Legend. So I would say for me, I Am Legend and World War Z, two examples of films of CGI zombies. It just didn't like I enjoyed them as like action movies, but I didn't find them remotely scary. It didn't have the same effect as even say Dawn of the Dead from yeah. you know the the uh, the old ones, but even the, the old one. one made in the noughties and Twenty Eight Days Later as well. Twenty Eight Days Later, the, with the way they did the camera work when the zombies were sort of coming towards them, like Rah! kind yeah. of like really was. And that scene from Twenty Eight, I know we spoke about it before, but Twenty Eight Weeks Later where Robbie Carlyle is running away and they're kind of coming across the field towards him. Yeah. And it's and and there's that music that's um, it's called in in a heartbeat I think it is and it just yeah. one by one brings in instruments. Dun, but it's such a dun, dun, yeah, oh, that yeah. is such a brilliant piece of music. Uh, mate, the, what what will always get me in 28 days later. We we're, we're going to end up talking about all of 28 days later before we actually do it. <laughs> but it's mate. It's the uh, Killian Murphy walking around in the church. Hello, and one of them just stands up. Do you yeah, know what I mean? When he yeah, looked down yeah. into the plague pit of like all the bodies stacked up inside the church, and that one guy just stands up. For he's like, "Father, father," you know. <laughs> oh, and then he ends up sort of comes towards him, and smacks him with the thing. Yeah. Oh man, the end so is good. extremely fucking nigh. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a so film. good. Um, cinema this week. I have done the cinema this week. Yes, indeed. Um, not a scary one though. I still I haven't I haven't gotten around to seeing Saw X or Saw Ten, um, as some people might want to call it, which is supposed to be actually really really good. I don't no know. I don't know if you've way. heard this. 
honestly, Sword, oh Sword God, X... Am I going to have to go and watch this after all the slagging off I've done it, mate, the last it, five of them? Last time I looked, it was on about 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. I'm not sure this... Honestly, it's meant to actually now. be legit. It's meant to be really good. Um, oh, my God. It's really well-reviewed. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. amazing. I, I, I think it's taken everybody by surprise um, because I know... What I do know of it is it's set between the events of Saw 1 and Saw 2, hence why Jigsaw is back alive again. And all right, that okay. Yeah, yeah. All that jazz. Okay. Um, but back to what I've seen this week, I saw a film called The Lesson. Have you seen that? Have you seen that advertised? No, no I haven't, but I have, um, I have seen that advertised. Now, is that with, um, what's his face? God, it's going to kill me. Um, Richard E. Grant. That's the one, Richard E. Grant. That's um, yeah, Richard E. Grant's in it. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, that's just fine magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, really sadly, didn't he lose his wife not too long ago? He did, yeah. Which uh, I think he he speaks about in pretty stoic fashion. But it's um, yeah, I don't. It's it's very sad. He's uh, it, it, it's very it's because it's it's funny, isn't it? Because you know, obviously, there's the old like with nail and eye and stuff like that. And he's always been a sort of character that's a character you know an actor that's managed to stay kind of relevant without actually i would say being that prolific does that feel harsh I no, no no I, I if you said to me like oh tell me his five films in the last 10 years i could i couldn't you know i couldn't yeah. be like wow magnificent performance you know and it, it's a bit of a shame because i think what i would say up front from this film the lesson is he's really very good he may be, you know, he may be, uh, I guess, perhaps a bit of a one-trick pony. He's got the kind of Hugh Grant type yeah. thing going on, right? Clumsily bit less handsome. Charming. Yeah, a bit less handsome, maybe. Is that harsh? But Slightly yeah, more well-spoken, than... perhaps? Perhaps, yeah. Um, although, I mean, that's that's a real tough-off, that, isn't it? To be honest. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> tough-off. <laughs> yeah, they... Um, <laughs> What essentially? So the film is he he plays a, a prolific, well, revered author, J. M. Sinclair, who is coming to terms with the suicide of one of his sons, um, and the film starts with him at some kind of convention, like a book convention, where he's essentially being asked if his grief has inspired his own personal journey right if he not his personal journey his his writing so is he putting his kind of his personal experience into his writing and then flip forward to the you know the the, the film which is it's on daryl so daryl mccormack um great actor you might have seen him in bad sisters quite recently and i believe he's also in the bbc's the woman in the wall um right. Really good actor, real up and comer. He plays Liam Summers, who is he's yeah he's an aspiring, um, very kind of probably idealistic young writer. He's he's an incredibly smart guy, but he you know he wants to be a writer. He's desperate to be a writer, and more so he he idolizes James Sinclair. So he's kind of taking on various different jobs that facilitate him being able to do his writing as well he's a i think he's an oxford or cambridge graduate or something like that so he could be walking into some massively well-paid job i think he got a first i think they, they mentioned that as well but i believe he's his focus is on wanting to stay on his writing so he he's tutoring and it just so happens that 
this this author J.M. Sinclair. He uh, needs a he needs a tutor for his other son Bertie Sinclair, who is a posh, pugnacious, know it all kind of A level kid, very entitled, very privileged. Um, thinks yeah he doesn't need to doesn't need anybody's help at all. He's obviously trying to deal with the the grief of losing his brother, but you wouldn't tell that at the beginning of the film anyway. Um, the matriarch of the, of the whole thing is played by Julie Delpy. She plays Helene Sinclair. Um, she kind of has a quiet control over the house, you would say, but she's still you, you kind of get the 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 feeling that she she does pull the strings, but she also knows that. We're living with this temperamental genius in J.M. Sinclair, her husband, that she will sort of concede at times. Step aside. Think, have you seen The Phantom Thread? I was literally just about to say that. I was literally it's, just about to say Phantom Thread. It sounds it's, it's, a bit, kind of similar kind of motif. Yes. Similar, similar dynamic where they kind of let, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's character, whose name I forget, I'm sorry, um, Daniel Day-Lewis's character kind of have the run of the place until there are those moments when they're like, Back in your box, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of, it's that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, the, the 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 film centers, like I say, around uh, Liam trying to get his book written, trying to get closer to J.M. Sinclair, who is one of his heroes, his literary hero at least, um, and also make the breakthrough of Bertie Sinclair, whilst also keeping Helen Sinclair happy because she's managing more of the relationship um, between Liam. And Bertie, as the tutor, she is really Liam's employer. J.M. Sinclair is just kind of waffling around the house, doing his writing, shutting himself away, and then coming down for these kind of dinners where he commands the room, puts on whatever classical music he wants to, and so on and so forth. So you see Liam trying to take on this inspiration um, from his surroundings, being around his literary hero, and also navigate this very kind of tricky quite bizarre upper class family dynamic that seems very dysfunctional for somebody who's a writer he doesn't really talk to I mean it's that classic kind of story right somebody who can put these elegant words onto page is such a shut off from the rest of his family emotionally unavailable is expectant of his son and all this type of thing. So Liam has obviously been introduced into this dynamic and we start to see the family, I guess, become more uh, stretched at, at the seams, if you like. Um, but the story really kind of starts to pick up momentum when J.M. Sinclair gets kind of a, a, a whiff of the fact that Liam is a writer himself and is very smart and also, importantly, idolises James Sinclair. He actually wrote his uh, thesis on him. Um, so James Sinclair basically wants to use Liam as a proofreader for his latest and most elusive book yet. All the talk around James Sinclair is, where is this book? Why has he not written? Is it the grief of losing his son that has stopped him from being able to write? An accusation which James Sinclair detests he loathes it he loathes the idea of being so predictable so ordinary that something like grief may stop a genius like him from being able to write um and we see from this point essentially liam getting closer 
to his hero. Well, you know what the old adage is, right? It's never meet your heroes, right? The gloss soon comes off and we start to basically understand more about this family dynamic, more about why things are in the state that they're in now. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all, it's all basically wrapped up as a nice thriller. It'll keep you guessing. It'll keep you kind of uh, wondering what is going to happen, what direction the film is going to take. Um, because you can quite clearly tell that everybody within the film has their own, has their own motive. They have their own clear. I mean, Liam, the main character in particular is, he's almost something creepingly of an anti-hero just in so much as you know he has a vested interest in what's going on and he is acting in a certain way he is being manipulative within this family dynamic to get what he wants which is to finish writing his book and have his hero James Sinclair hopefully write it and didn't uh, not write it read it and endorse it um so it, yeah there's a lot going on it deals with a lot of issues of you know like I say like grief of of entitlement, of um, privilege, and the way in which that can manifest, should we say. Would, would you recommend, is it one of those that you sort of came out feeling like it actually took you on a bit of a journey that you couldn't see where it was going? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say so. And I would say similar to The Haunting in Venice, most of not quite the same as Haunting in Venice, but I'd say most of the breadcrumbs are there within the film so that when everything does kind of come to a head, you'll be able to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that does make sense. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a solid film. It's one of those films, right? It's on Rotten Tomatoes now at 74%, and that feels right. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. it's it's a good, solid I think I'm pretty sure it's a British film. Um, it's, I think it's distributed by Universal, but it's it seems to be an entirely British cast, other than you know Julie Delpy. Um, it's oh, well, and Liam Solomon, who's who's Irish. So let's just say British and Irish and part European production. Christ, stop telling myself <laughs> not. It's not American, is what I mean. There you go. Um, there we go. There we go. It's a bit easier, isn't it? Uh, good film, solid. It's definitely one that you can go and enjoy Sunday afternoon, big box of popcorn, all the totally. rest of it. Do you know what I mean? Good, solid film. But equally, you don't have to see it in the cinema. When it drops on Netflix, Prime, wherever, or even if you fancy it on Blu-ray, get it Perfectly. there, watch it at home, fine. Good film, good, solid film, good performances. Like I say as well, Daryl McCormack, I mean, it's not like I'm saying anything revelatory here, but he really does seem to be an up-and-comer. I think he's really going to be... Uh, yeah, I think it, as he gets older, um, we'll start to see him in some really, I think some really, really uh, interesting roles. I think I think he's, yeah, I think he's really good. I think he's a really strong actor. I'm just sort of looking at his back catalogue or what he's been... What he's been to, I want to say Warriors, he was in said. Peaky as well. Peaky. I think yeah, he was in Peaky 11 episodes Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Um, yeah, one to one to watch. Um, okay, mate. I'm I'm sort of I'm weirdly torn now because I'm going to go to the cinema tomorrow night. Uh, not tomorrow night. Uh, I'll do do my Friday night cinema vibes, and I'm now a little bit torn as to whether to go and watch Saw or not. I yeah, I'm I might try and push for the uh for the cinema on Friday, and I I reckon I'll be 
I reckon Saw will be on my list. It'll, I'll be, it'll be a lone wolf cinema visit. So I might, that will also be a bit of a deal breaker for me if I feel like I've got the the testicular fortitude to go on my own to watch uh, <laughs> to watch a, a, a scary horror film and then go and get in the car in the dark on my own. I was um, going to ask you just off the cuff, um, what do you make of the look of the creator? Does that interest you at all? Could that be on your Friday list? Mm, I, do you know what? I'm very torn on that. because I've So like, am I. So it, am I. I like, it, it, it's one of those where I've looked at the, the, the trailers and I've gone, it's sort of quite strange. I've sort of gone down the one route. It's quite similar, actually, to the, um, to the conversation we were having before about people getting it right in terms of the theory of a film and, a, and an mm. arc and a potential. It, it looks to me... I'll watch one trailer and be like, that looks like it just could be a horrendous execution against a really fascinating idea. And yeah. then there's another part of me, like usually it's when the missus is kind of like, oh, I like the look of that. And I'm like, right, what have I missed? You know, what have I like, what is it that I haven't seen? You know, it's kind of like, I don't know. What about you? You haven't been to see that yet, have you? That's, no, that's I haven't right. been to see it. And I, uh, it feels, you know, from when I look at it, I'm like, okay, so what you, it feels like what you're doing here is kind of, you want to have the, should we say the prestige, the art house credentials of something like Blade Runner, but you want to have a bit of a Terminator style execution yeah. to it as well. Yeah. And I, it, 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 so I'm already getting kind of mixed, a muddled kind of vibe from it. Um, I think, do you know, I tell you what was a bit of a red flag for me, and I am actually stealing this point from 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 phil you know creator of our of our you know theme tune ah. if you like he um his point was and I, I kind of agree with this is that they left it really really late to allow the press in to get any screenings of it or anything like that and that's always Did a they? bit of a red flag yeah around kind of these huge budget films when they're something like mm, let's not let the press in yet because it's that's almost like somebody does yeah watched it back and been like this is actually a bit shit, isn't it? Is Do you know what I mean? Wank? Have we done a um, shit one? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've got. Do you know what I've got to say though? Gareth Edwards, he's he's got some he's got some credit in the bank for me. I think Rogue One. I mean, we won't touch the original trilogy because I know that's kind of sacrosanct for many people. Yeah. Other than that, I think Rogue One is the best Star Wars movie ever made. Uh, and particularly of particularly of the the new era like it considering that star wars went into a very hazy kind of place mm-hmm. you know it went into a really weird place and and um, when disney kind of got involved it, it it i'll be honest some of the stuff in there was just abysmal like I've, i thought solo was so I really, I'm, I know we've already spoken about this. You didn't mind it, but I, I don't, yeah, I didn't mind solo because I thought that it was potentially going somewhere. So at the end, when they showed, there's a very big spoiler coming here, but the end, they kind of showed that Darth Maul was kind of rocking up and I was like, okay, well, that's, that could be something. Um, uh, and, and, and then actually sort of, it didn't really go anywhere, but I assume it was an absolute monster of a flop you know so um and well, also this this was on my on my list for this week sorry god mate 
Well, I was going to say, speaking of Star Wars, I believe you, uh, you've you been watching Ashoka, haven't you? Yeah, so I, I gave Ashoka a go. Um, now, there is four, I think I'm right in saying there's four of the IRL-style new Star Wars ther- series on Disney, which would be Andor, Ahsoka, Mandalorian, and then it was just called Kenobi. Um, I have to say, I thought Kenobi was complete shite. I thought it was just, it, it, it for me just did everything. I know you and I will do this ad nauseum, but IRL and practical effects every single day of the week over doing these crazy CGI setups that are just not believable. You know, they just looked so fake. I mean, I'm in total agreement with you, mate. Like Kenobi, I actually stopped halfway through because I was like, oh. I don't, I don't want to watch this and I don't need to watch this. One of the, I think one of the main things they did in in Kenobi that was compare and contrast with with Rogue One where I think Darth Vader was probably his most terrifying I've ever seen mm. him on screen in Rogue One yep. when you just see him just come on right at the end that lightsaber lights up and <clears throat> you're suddenly like what the fuck what are they going to do that's Darth Vader there yeah. um, to Kenobi where he kind of was turned into like an old cartoon villain somewhere wagging a fist in his, you know, in his yeah. dark tower kind of thing. I was uh, like, what is this shit, man? Less yeah. is more with Vader. Don't turn him into this and kind also, of just all these soap like, protagonist. Pissing around with like these different camera shots. It's so simple. Like really, if you actually break it down, a lot of the, the themes within Star Wars are of like a samurai film, you know, and it's a mm. really simple Kind of, for me anyway, I don't think you need to go crazy with the the camera angles. I think in terms of like having a, 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 you can almost go two dimensional with the fact that you just want a a wide and then a mid shot and you want to just see the art of these two people that have clearly like trained to within an inch of their life to make sure that they can do the moves do them and instead there was all this stuff on like steady cam and then the kind of like 360 cameras and stuff like where they're pointing up at the people as they're fighting from the ground and then top down and it, you couldn't just couldn't get the geography of what was going on it was just and and I, I felt it was disrespectful as well to sorry this is really neeking out um <laughs> felt a bit disrespectful to the actual the the original trilogy right was was like groundbreaking something never been seen before and it will stand the test of time forever it will be considered one of the greatest trilogies of all time mm. like if not the greatest for what it was the prequels one two and three came out of nowhere and this is a, another conversation for another day that the prequels kind of like they found their way into the kind of consciousness of people that enjoy star wars films so they didn't at the start and they kind of gently seeped in and people going do you know what for what they were they were actually okay and there were some good moments in there and i know that it's definitely now kind of found its audience in a way that it didn't at the time people at the time claimed that they were flops but actually they were they were like fairly well fairly well thought of now um so then when they started doing all the other stuff seven eight and nine write them off immediately i think at some point they're done again um Rogue One, very good. Solo, kind of middling for me. But then these new series, Andor, Ahsoka, Mandalorian and Kenobi. Kenobi, they got it completely wrong. I think Mandalorian is a, a smart kind of avenue to go down. But The first couple of series, the very, third one, I, I turned off as well. Very samey, very mm. samey. And the problem is, is that you... 
what they try and do to give these episodes a lift is introduce an old character that people will be buzzed by, but then you just water down the significance of that amazing character. Well, one one thing I would say, oh, oh, the only thing I would challenge you on there, mate, is I I thought um, in the second series of The Mandalorian, where they should have ended it when Luke Skywalker took Grogu off. like Perfect. Perfect. I, I, fe- I honestly felt that because we saw the strength of those like those droid things that were coming to attack the Mandalorian and everything like that. And you know how they were kind of like breaking through that bunker and everything. Then Luke Skywalker just came and dealt with them. I was suddenly like, wow, you suddenly, and I honestly think for the first time in any piece of Star Wars fiction, you actually really fully get how powerful the Jedi's are. Because yes. of that, like one sequence. Perfection. So that was the one bit I really liked. In, in I thought in terms of and introducing the old characters. So and that's how they should be used, right? Yeah, that's how they should be used. Is that it's that it's very the similar to Rogue One. It, it's almost yes. kind of like the counterbalance yes. to Rogue One. It's like it's that perfect kind of like you get them for ten seconds or or, or a minute, and you're like, oh my god, this yeah. is it. And like, do you know what? I'll give you another stupid reference. This week or last week, it popped up on my timeline that The Rock had returned to wrestling. <laughs> and, really? Yeah, and he did a little appearance, and 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 his music comes on, the lights go down, and the entire crowd just goes absolutely mental. He comes on, he does his thing, he kicks a few heads in, and then he disappears again. And I'm sure he won't do it again for another five, ten years. Do, but do you people, think that's because he started to catch a bit of heat for his movies? I don't know if you've noticed maybe, that lately. Maybe because you know he was just, kind of the darling of Hollywood for a bit. I think he, lately people have found him a bit lazy and a bit samey and boring. Well, and people were saying that he was just bulletproof in terms of the box office, weren't they? That literally, yeah. he, even it didn't matter what he did, he was going to carry a film just because he worked so hard. And I also felt like he got into a strange place with this whole Kevin Hart thing where those two were like, wait, mm. look at us together. And it was a bit like, okay, we get it. Um, but anyway, I, I just, I think there is a, a way to do those kind of bits of, uh, of Star Wars nostalgia where you get it really right. And what I would say, I, I was meant to be talking about Ahsoka, essentially what I'd say about Ahsoka is it is the closest thing in terms of the limited episode series, the sort of IRL shot. This is the closest thing to getting something that feels right. It feels like oh, it's got really? a story there. It's wow. still got the problems of a couple of the other series in that feels baggy. It feels like they go on these unnecessary missions to other planets and doing it. But in terms of at the heart of the story, there is something there. There's a nugget there that they're getting at that actually ties in quite neatly with what's going on within the kind of six films. So it has got enough about it that I would recommend it. Um, And uh, I will happily kind of have the chat with anyone who thinks it's crap or anyone who thinks it's amazing because i don't think it's either i just think it's probably the neatest and tidiest of the the four irl films did you, uh, uh, series did, did you ever watch yeah what was was it clone wars the old animated series yeah. that ahsoka first shows up in yeah so i watched clone wars and i watched rebels i i watched clone wars during covid i think because i was just did looking you? for something to watch i was genuinely just at that point where you know when we just 
Mm. You were literally just hours and hours and hours on end in the evening of being like, what are we going to do tonight? So I, I sort of got into it a bit and was like, right, I'll give it a go just to sort of see. And there's, it's, it, again, it, there is a lot of bagginess in there, but there are some bits that are quite helpful explainers. And I'm sounding like a total neek now. So, um, no, I might uh, give it a go. I might give it a go because I, I enjoyed, I don't think I loved Andor as much as everybody else did. I did, I liked what they were trying to do, tell a different type of story within yeah. the Star Wars universe. So that was good and a lot of good themes there, obviously, fascism, the rise It wasn't of as good. It wasn't as good as people made out. It was not. I didn't. I didn't. I'm glad you said that. I didn't think so either. But It was decent. Yeah. But again, I, yeah. I just feel like the asset that you're working with deserves to be amazing. And I feel like they're doing a lot of cookie cutter at the moment. And that's why I felt quite negative about Summer Mandalorian. So I'm like, mm. oh, hey, we've rocked up at another place. So we need to find another thing. And it just feels like you're going for an, a, a level yeah, of a computer yeah. game. I, I think they should have ended it after the second season. Yeah, that, I agree. That, that, that was the most though. perfect ending. Yeah, yeah. Perfect 100%. ending. It, it feels like it honestly feels like the 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 kind of the series of the Mandalorian feels like trying to find the letters for the word skate in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're just going or, around or the find different... all the pigeons in GTA Three. You know exactly, I mean? like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Find the secret tape. Um, so yeah, it's it, like, but give give a secret go. I would I would recommend. Anyway, we must get into talking about this week's film. Let's talk about this week's film. Um, so you picked for us, Ben, staying on the uh, spooky season theme the shining an absolute classic which i actually it is not as old as i thought it was i i would have guessed off the top of my head 1975 but it's actually a 1980 film um, 1980s actually quite it's a lot more, it, weirdly in my head i thought it was older yeah big time big time um so why why did you why did you pick the shining bed i think this is up there for me greatest horror films ever um mm -hmm. and i am including it as a horror film and we can do that in a in a sec because i think um i think purdy sort of definitely gave us uh, enough of an asterisk to go to var on this one i oh, thank you um uh yeah it's given us <laughs> enough of a kind of like oh we need to we need to discuss that that was a little bit of a layered one for liverpool fans there um uh, yeah, it, it, there's definitely sort of a, a little bit there around whether this is actually a psychological thriller, etc. Et but I think there's enough of themes that make this um, make this a horror film. And for me, it is just well, we're going to talk about it fairly early on in the discussion. But the, the isolation, like at the beginning, when they're just disappearing out away from civilization for a good five minutes, and you're just like oh my God, you're going to be so on your own. You're literally going to be in the middle of nowhere. And I, I think we talked about it in the last pod as well, but the idea of a haunted house, I don't think there's much more scary than that, being trapped no. in a place that is literally coming alive with ghosts and spirits and things. I don't know, did you find it, how did you find it watching it back? I loved it, mate. It's one of my favourite films of all time. Um, oh, it's sweet, been I'm glad. probably two, three years since I've watched it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was nice to nice to 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 jump back in. Can I give you a, a nice little interesting tidbit up top um, before you make yes, me spoil please. it? So yes, you know please. the footage as uh, as he's driving to the Overlook. Um, Jack Torrance is driving to the Overlook Hotel. Do you know that footage was repurposed in Blade Runner? I literally was just about to, to say the same thing to you. I Where? like, yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorite little bits of film trivia. 
it's just such a brilliant bit of i mean and it, like it also tells you so much about kubrick right yeah that he had that much to give away you know yeah. who could afford to do that like it's mental absolutely reels mental. reels and reels and reels of the shit do you know what i mean but also i really love the idea don't you that ridley scott is just like getting on the blower to be like mate look listen <laughs> have you got on stan Stan. I, I, that is that's really Stan cool. Man. Yeah. Stan V Man. Yeah. That's really cool. I think that's really like there's there's a I don't know, I want to believe that that's what that Hollywood is like that. Uh, it, of course it's not, but I want to believe that it is. That you could just phone up your mate. In the same way that you might sample someone's song on your on a track and be like, yeah, and I'm just sampling your fingers, cool. And they're not being like reams of lawyers waiting to sue you for yeah, everything yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got. It's just like, mate, it's cool. Don't worry. Do you think? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, I love that. I absolutely love that trivia. Um, do you want to, do you want to attempt to spoil this or would you like a pass? Look, I mean, we didn't, no, we did it with a contract. Go on. Let's have a go. Let's have a go. Purdy, Purdy went for it. Right. Ready? Go Three, on. two, one. Beep. So, The Shining, it follows uh, failed teacher, aspirational writer, and now caretaker Jack Torrance as he takes a job in the isolated Overlook Hotel, moving his family, Wendy and Danny, out there with him. Um, Danny, who talks to his imaginary friends um, at all points, whose name Red completely Rob. escapes me. That's not very good at all, is it? Um, so yeah, they move to this place. You get the feeling that there's something not so right about what's going on here. Um, they obviously meet Scatman Crothers there, who is a, a cook, a chef at the, uh, at the hotel. Um, before everyone's going to move off for the winter, this is absolutely appalling. I'm just giving up there, mate. I cannot. Go, I cannot no. do these. I cannot listen, do these. Is it, like, listen, this is a this is an actual. You know, usually we were like, oh, it's quite a, like it's a long film. Not a lot happens. I actually feel like there is a lot in this film. Like I, I think there is absolutely loads in this film, and it was really nice when you put together some stuff for the um, for the, the the running order and stuff. I was like. Oh my god! There's so many cool little things that we can pick out and discuss, like straight away. For example, the fact that they are in the arse end of nowhere—they're yeah. literally in the middle of nowhere—and they even do that little discussion with the the guy who's sitting there in his suit and being like, "Yeah, well, we wanted to do snow sports and winter skiing, but unfortunately, it's just so far remote from everything, and you can't get near anyone else, and the roads are completely closed, so we won't be able to get to you." It's, it's just seven, magnificent. Seven months he's going to be there from October to the end of May or to the start of May. Do you think you could do something like that? Could I do something like that? Um, so what are we talking? You wouldn't have reception out there as well? You wouldn't have the internet? Oh, yeah. No internet. No internet. So we're talking like like it would have been then, 1970s, you're looking, you've got a, You've got a telephone, I guess, and you've got the radio and that's your lot i mean i feel like i want to say i reckon i'd be okay if i had loads of dvds loads of books um and i could keep myself kind of keep my mind occupied trying to do a bit of writing myself or something but look how that turned out for yeah for the I other see, jack do you know what i mean that's I the could. thing I don't think I could. I think it's I would. It's a long time. It's a long like, time. When you actually think about that, like, 
I yeah, I just don't think I, I don't think I, I think I, I think I would be the sort of person that at the beginning I would be absolutely golden, and I would come up with an exercise routine that I'd do. Mm. I'd come up with like a diet plan, and I'd be like, right, I can sort of like you know become really healthy, and I'll read loads, and I'll kind of like get the, all those things done that I've wanted to done. Then I think like after six to eight weeks, I'd get into a really weird place from like. I haven't spoken to another person for two months. And it it would just, uh, do you know, one of the scenes that grabbed me is when she just kind of like, she just goes on the radio to just talk to someone. Yeah. It's horrible. It's like, so Oof. affecting, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and he's like, was there anything else? And she's like, yeah, please just talk to me. But she doesn't say it. She's just like, can you just talk to me, please? Like, give me something. Well, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's quite ironic, really, because the, I think one of the other big things, you know, we talk about isolation there. One of the other big th- themes in this film is is neglect as well, I feel, yeah. that, you know, the Torrance family have literally been brought there to stop the hotel from falling into disrepair under under those situations. And, you know, he's more he's more concerned with, you know, don't you understand? This is my job. This is an agreement I've made. This is, you know... That was amazing. That was amazingly affecting as well. Yeah, but he's more worried about the upkeep, the maintenance of the hotel than he is his marriage, the his, marriage his relationship, yeah. his duties as a father to look after his kid. You know. It, yeah, and the the, um, the the scene in the bar. I mean, I'm just jumping. I'm getting so scatty and erratic here, but I did just love it so much. The scene in the bar where he goes in and he's like, um, uh, what is the line that he says? Oh, like back to something, something Lloyd, something, something. Yeah, I don't know. I know, I know what you mean though. Like, and, and the, the, the guy is, the guy pl- is in Blade Runner, um, Joe Turkle he's called, and he looks like a demon. You know, he looks mm. so so scary and he's like i never lay a finger on his little head and then he kind of leans in as if he's telling him a secret and he's like maybe one time just accidentally you know and then you get into this whole thing of the fact that his wife that is already sort of she at the beginning she already seems to be a little bit kind of concerned about the fact that he just doesn't care about their marriage and he doesn't seem to show her any affection at all even when they're in the car and she offers him just a little like oh, wasn't that this story that happened? And he was like, no, it wasn't. And you're like, oh God, this is already not good. Um, but then when he kind of admits to the to the barman that he's hurt Danny, you're kind of like, oh, this actually, this is a really, really, really bad position to be in for her. The fact that she's so far from everything and he is slowly starting to lose his mind as well. Um, so there is this like, really interesting thing around abuse because it's clearly an abusive relationship, but she like, she's kind of, maybe it's a a sign of the times, but she just kind of has blindly gone along with him. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. Do you, even though she's somebody that's, I think maybe trying her best, I think she's quite a bit younger than him. I get the feeling she's quite a young mother. Do you think in turn, is it fair to say that she's somewhat neglectful of Danny as a, as a as a mother? Does or does that feel unfair? That is a good question. That's a really good question because there is, 
I where I had that feeling, I was like, oh, not sure about that, is when <laughs> this is really, I mean, it's awful that I laugh at this, but you know, when he goes, you need to go to a doctor. And he's like, when? Yeah. And she goes, as soon as possible. And he goes, as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's such a good, like, it's such a funny little. Yeah, it's really terrifying, but it's like really funny because it's just kind of like, it is quite demonic. And she, yeah. if someone was doing that to you, you'd be like, I don't trust it. Like, you're going to kill me. Like, I'm, you're scaring the life out of me right now. But she, she at that time is not like, I'm protecting my son. Get the hell out of my way. You know, she's so petrified that she's not in that kind of headspace. But we do see a little bit later on. And definitely when they're having the conversation at the beginning where she's like, oh, he just hurt him by accident. But thankfully it means he's not drinking. And I don't know whether that's the 2023 version of me being like, after that, just get out. You know, just just go. Yeah, I mean, Tony, that's Danny's imaginary friend, doesn't it? Because I mean, do you yes. think... She's sort of, she's very uh, understanding of this whole Tony Lark, right? I think she sees it as just a little boy who is maybe a bit different, um, who I think she, you know, I think to a degree she's probably thinking most kids have imaginary friends and maybe Danny's a bit different. But it's just something about, like you say, when previously with Jack Nicholson being, or Jack Torrance, I should say, being abusive to, to Danny moving out to the middle of nowhere with him, taking the kid away from a school, from an environment where he's going to have friends or anything. It feels feels all a bit dodgy, but then maybe I'm viewing this through the wrong eyes. This is 70s. It is, I'm sure there were probably less rights for women back then. It was probably very much you do what your husband tells you to do, right? So maybe she didn't have that much control in the situation. And that probably all plays into you know, this kind of cycle of abuse that is present within the film, right? Yeah, and also, can we just, while we're on that, like, I feel like because of the way that Stanley Kubrick kind of made this, I feel like we get an unbelievable display of it because it feels as though he was just kind of, am I skipping too far ahead here in terms of like him being a little bit abusive in terms of his creation of the film? Do you want to do uh, that in fine one of war we, crime? No, I think I think we should we should definitely devote some time to that. But maybe when we talk more about Kubrick, but we can still, of course, yeah, touch on it. But well, I think we properly dive into it when we're talking about Kubrick and his style and his methods. Yeah, see, well, look, I was just going to say like the performance that he gets from um, from Shelley. Oh Duval. my god, Shelley Duvall. Um, the performance that that he gets from her because of that because of that behaviour, it, it's so believable. Like it's so mm. believable and it really, really progresses throughout the film as well. Like it, it really kind of like drifts throughout the film and, and she's just falling apart, um, which is just amazing. Like absolutely amazing. But it's... Can I, go on, can I tell you an interesting thing up front um, with this in terms of her performance and the film itself? You know, it was critically panned at the time, The Shining. It was, it was actually put up for the inaugural Razzies. No, um, I Shirley didn't know Duvall's that. performance was the film was put up there. People what called was it melodramatic. The it was melodramatic. Was it, the it was silly. It was Kubrick disappearing up his own ass with these, you know, his long shots and all this type of stuff, like he likes to do. Um, yeah, people just didn't find it particularly scary or engaging. And I guess 
When did the film Halloween come out? Wow, I, guess, I can't believe that. Yeah, Halloween 78. So I guess around this time as well, it was the start of the slasher era, right? You've kind of got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You've got John Carpenter's films coming out. You've probably got Wes Craven's. And so you'd imagine somebody like Kubrick, who has done all of these like art housey films, 2001 A Space Odyssey, whatever, trying to give it a go in a horror space people would probably like stay in your lane i reckon but yeah film was panned which is uh i find quite interesting um and well, Shelley I, Duvall's performance as well i've just seen that the the, the razzie was rescinded in 2022 really oh, the no. worst director and worst actress razzies the latter of which was rescinded in 2022 due to kubrick's treatment of Duvall on set Critical response to the film has since become favourable. That's amazing. It wasn't nominated for anything positive at all, which is just really, really fascinating. I mean, and which it, seems it seems bonkers to me because, like, again, up front, this is, I think, it's a masterpiece. He's yeah. an incredible film. Absolutely, and like the 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 more I watch it, the more I like it as well. Yeah. And I do wonder whether it's one of those films that's getting better over time because it, it, it's, um, it's so locked in time as well. It's, it's mm. definitely got lots in there that even just those carpets as Danny's kind of cycling round and round, you're like, that's such a kind of like 70s style or 80s style carpet that you're looking at. You know, yeah. it's, it's really kind of quite, um, that's quite spooky in itself. And it's one of the things I know, sorry to massively digress, I think we touched on it last week, but it's like one of the things that I quite like about what I'm hearing about Chris Nolan's potential James Bonds is that they're going to be set, they're going to be period films. You know, they're going to be set in a, in a, in a time funny, when... You had a complete about turn, didn't you, when you heard that? Because I remember at first you were like, oh, no. And then I was like, they're going to be period pieces. And you were like, hello. In. Yeah. In. Because I, because I like, I mean, look, we'll do this properly on another pod, but I just feel like, that, that we, let, take a film like The Shining, for example. It looks as though, and I'm just guessing here, but it looks as though at the time, people just maybe weren't up for that then. But mm. now it's, it's enough time has passed that everyone is just like, it's, it becomes more and more scary because we feel more and more removed from some of the stuff within it. Like the idea of isolation. If you, if you think about it now, they look unbelievably isolated because now you just jump on your phone and be like, oh, there's a nutcase here. Can you send in a helicopter? <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? And he's yeah, like, could yeah. you just come save us? Cheers. Like, but one of me, the scariest things... My husband's had a funny turn. Yeah, exactly. He's had a bit of a fall and I've woken up and he's sort of like gargling, gargling all over the place and sort of on the floor a bit, like sending the air ambulance. Whereas like one of the scariest bits of this film is when he's in the freezer, she locks him in the pantry thing. And then he's like, yeah, go and check the snowmobile. I've disabled the engine. It's like, that was her only way out. Mm. And then it's just gone. You know, that's like, I, and I really like that setup. I really like how much time has gone into the idea of like, right, let's make this really, really difficult to escape. He's done all of the breadcrumb stuff in terms of showing you the maze and showing you kind of like the, the pantry, takes you through, it goes to the, the grand ballroom as well. It sort of shows you all the elements that are going to be crucial and important. And and then even with the shining stuff that Danny has as well, it's just perfect. It's it's so so good. Anyway, let's um let's do a little bit on on Kubrick. Then, what did you like about his kind of? What are the bits that jump out you straight away that you're like, okay, this is this is a big tick for me. I mean, it's the it's it's the tension right that is created in 
pretty much every single scene. Like we 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 we've done the conjuring last week, right? And we I guess this is a this is nap point to talk about whether or not we believe the the shining is a horror film. Um I I would say still you can class this as a horror film. But the the lack of like we say with the conjuring, which in places did a lot of what the shining is doing here, the clap clap game that we focused on last week. Um, but then at the same time, you do have demons and ghosts and goblins and stuff flying around the place, right? Whereas in this, it's only really the very, should we say, the last act of the film, really, when stuff starts to heat up. Up until that point, it's largely all an amount of implied threat, right? And that's through, I think, really through just the way in which Kubrick manages to maintain this kind of... this heavy intensity in you know it's it's so it's so crazy to think you know this humongous hotel sat, stuck out in the middle of nowhere and yet every single scene feels claustrophobic feels yeah. tense you know you're seeing the kids going round on his on his trike down all these like huge sprawling corridors and everything like that but because of the way it's 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 the camera is kept so close to the trike, it feels small. It feels encased. It feels closed. It feels like Danny trying to you know going through a maze that he won't be able to escape, which is obviously foreshadowing of uh, of the end of the film. Did you um, know really quickly? Sorry to interrupt you, mate. Did you know? Did you find yourself waiting for him to go around every corner? Like to be like, oh, they're going to be there in a minute. They're going to be yeah, there in a minute. Yeah, Because yeah. I, I, I couldn't remember I can, when you see yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Because this is the thing, because it's been, like I said, it's been a few years since I last saw the film. I'm like, I can't remember exactly when it when it happens, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I still feel like even if you didn't, if you were watching this fresh for the first time, you didn't know they were going to be there. You'd still kind of think something bad's going to be there, right? Yeah. We've, Every we've corner heard, like, it goes around. Scatman's brother saying like don't go in 237 you know so you know there's something a bit dodgy there you've had that whole moment of Scatman Crothers when he first you know even that moment he's he's like one of the the good the you know the the lights in the film yet he's introduced in a scary way when they're both when he's like do you want some ice cream duck yeah it's horrifying that, I, I was like he's he does not get introduced like a goodie no it's really weird. Um, it, it was really strange. Like, and then, and then, kind of having that conversation where it's like explaining what shining is. Even then, I was like, I can't place this guy, you know. And it's only later on, perhaps, that you kind of really think, oh, maybe he's a good one, you know. Mm. Well, I mean, what, what I've got to say as well, off the bat, with Kubrick, um, just in terms of his style, his fingerprint on film, is almost every single shot is like a work of art, right? It's, it's, it's incredible, I, I felt. And I, I actually watched this film in a remastered 4K edition as well. And it, it just looked, it looks amazing. It's so beautiful to look at. The symmetry present within so amazing. many of the shots, the way everything's, you know, the big sort of grand gold ballroom. Um, how, I mean, have you ever seen a more delicious looking whiskey than the one that Jack oh Torrance has God. in that in that scene. It's right? so unbelievably well crafted that, isn't it? And even even little things like when they're going around, when they're being shown around the hotel, it's so deliberate. 
Yeah. You know, everything is just so deliberate. It just looks amazing. I watched um watched a really interesting kind of behind the scenes. Um, there's just loads of great behind the scenes stuff, and I don't know how it was. It seems like it was very not just meticulous, but really sort of particular about how he was doing things. So I've got a really interesting story on this that I saw over the last couple of days. That it got to the point where he rewrote so much stuff that the actors couldn't actually learn their lines. Christ, so really. he rewrote so much of it that they would be giving them fresh, people call them sides, but it's basically the, the bit of the script that you're going to be working on that day. But he'd be giving them fresh sides almost daily. So Jack Nicholson learned the original script for the film and then he just gave up. He was like, I just can't learn this anymore. So you just give me what I've got to say today and I'll try now, and learn what I've got to say today. Here's a question for you then, because we will, obviously we are going to talk about the treatment of Shelley Duvall and Kubrick's methods, his process. Do you feel that this in turn was part of it? Do you think him, do you think really he was playing this up? Do you think he was amping up? Do you think he really was on these kind of manic rewrites or do you think he was like, let's just keep them all on their toes. Let's keep them all in this weird place of being at the whim of a maniacal writer, somebody crazed at their typewriter. Do you know what I mean? Is he is he going method in a way? Do you get what I, I mean? Well, here's the thing. There are shots of him sat there at a typewriter writing out the sides for the day in front of the in front of um Shelley Duvall and, and Jack Nicholson writing them, bashing away on a typewriter and sliding the typewriter back and then writing and then sliding it back and doing it over and over. And I don't know whether... I wonder sometimes when people are in that space, mm. whether they whether they convince themselves, oh, I'm doing this because this is what I need to do to actually make this special. Um or whether they perhaps have been sort of dragged in themselves and have got a little bit obsessive and can't actually stop. So it's it, it's not just, oh, I'm doing this kind of in a really method way. It's like, it's a compulsion. They can't actually stop it. And it certainly looks as though from his behaviours that there's, there's elements of compulsion and compulsive behaviour in the way that he kind of does things. But what I will say that was really interesting on top of that as well is that his interactions with Jack Nicholson you can see that he can't that he can't have the same physical intimidation of Jack Nicholson when he asks him to do things. He sort of says, Do you think you could do this or do you think you could do that? And then away he'll turn and speak to Shelley Duvall and he'll be like, You're gonna do this and she's like sort of playfully says, No, I won't. He says, Yes, you will. And it's like, oof. That is there's a very real physical threat there as well, which is quite quite horrible mm, it's interesting because I've, I've heard a lot about um him you know he seems to demonstrate a lot of those kind of genius if we like you know it's a word that's bandied around a lot yeah but those covers those, all manner of sins right yeah those those genius traits of aloof of somebody who you know he seems quite shy and quite kind of friendly but don't get on the wrong side of him that kind of yeah. thing and I've, i can't i'm not sure who it was it might have even been somebody like Orson Welles I saw a quote from saying that he's the type of guy that you're never really having a conversation with that he's almost projecting another side of himself to you that can say hello yes do all the pleasantries but he's always within himself he's somewhere else entirely yeah um, human beings for dummies 
Yeah, that type of thing. And so it doesn't, uh, I mean, I'd always heard in a pretty kind of, um, I think it's one of those things that I think everybody has heard. Apparently, Jack, um, apparently Stanley Kubrick was really horrible to Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining, yeah. that he kind of bullied her and scared her and all this type of stuff, but it really helped get her into character. It was really like method. It's only really like when you actually, I, I read a, an article about it, the way he treated her. It's hor- it's horrific. Like it actually, it turned my stomach a bit from somebody who I would say in some ways, I really uh, actually looked up. And I'd say, you know, I'm guilty of the fact I was like, oh yeah, you know, he, he, he scared her a bit. He terrorized her, but it was good for the film kind of thing. That was kind of the, the, the I guess the ignorant lens I had on it until. And being so removed from it, right? Yeah, until recording this podcast, I was like, I should actually read like what happened between them, Um, and reading the fact that he would constantly belittle her on set in front of people, like you say, he would shout at her, be physically imposing over her, talk down to her, make her do. So the scene on the on the stairwell um, when she's shaking the bat at Jack Nixon, give me the bat, give me the bat, you know, I'm going to bash your head in. Um, they did that like a record time. I think it was about 129 times or something like that. They did that shot over and over and over and over again because he wanted to see her dry-mouthed, tormented, on, on the, you know, on the verge of literally breaking down. He wanted to get that like completely, as he said, perfect. That apparently, and I mean, this this shows you the severity of it. Apparently, after that scene with her swinging the bat, holding that after take, after take, after take, apparently she had sores and calluses on her hands from holding the bat oh. and swinging the bat. She, you know, Jack Nicholson himself um, has come out and said that yeah, it was really tough on Shelley that film. In fairness, it was really tough. He said that they'd been recording like a scene in particular, and then just she sort of was, I don't know strokes her hair or something like that and a clump of her hair just came out in her hand yeah well there is there's videos of there's videos of that as well and it's really upsetting like it's really quite like she's literally pulling at her hair and it's just like the stress of it and there was another there was another scene you know where she's running up the stairs she's like running away um Mm. and it's it's i think she then sees the bear and the Um, very weird the guy in the dinner suit so i've got something on that this that that i think is a little bit interesting really um, creeps me out that bit yeah i mean that bit is just horrible um but when she did that apparently he made her do it i don't know the exact number but it's it's either that one or the scene with the bat that he that is in the guinness book of records for the number of takes i think it's the bat Think. The bat one, right? Yeah. So the the one where she's running up the up the steps, they said that she ran the equivalent of the Empire State Building with the amount of takes they did. Like in mean, terms of the flights of steps, it's it's and it's horrific. Like we say, the whole the genius tag covers a manner of all sins. This is still one of those things where you know people will probably quite flippantly be like, "Yeah, but." Her performance was great. That's what he was trying to achieve. This, you know, this film is going to be remembered forever. People are always going to, but on a really, on a, on a human level, you think, no, like you can't, like we can't be condoned. I'm, 
you can't be condoning that stuff. And I know we're talking we're talking about like yeah, something that's occurred in the seventies or you know seventies films come out in the eighties. But even still, at that time, I'm pretty sure there must have been some people on set that were raising an eyebrow about right. this trip. I think is it is it the act scene? Is it the the here's Johnny scene where? at first I mean they ended up doing it 60 times you know they had 60 doors on standby for him to chop through on that 60 doors I believe at first she didn't even know what was going to happen in that scene oh, oh man and see this kept is her in the, the dark about it you know this is the thing this is this is really tough right because there is still a part of me full disclosure there's still a part of me that's like when I watch her performance as a piece of art I think it, like the terror that she shows is just for it's phenomenal like it's 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 it, 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 the ability to capture that and make you feel it there and i can't think of many other films where there is someone that's in peril and you feel it that viscerally so on some level her performance is is exquisite mm. the problem is is that if you that this is an argument about separating art from artist and all of that um, over and over and over the problem is is that now that i've seen those videos and stuff behind it i won't be able to unsee them no i can't i can't find i can't find like the idea of your hair falling out through stress the idea of like literally being a terror have you seen the behind the scenes of jack nicholson sort of prepping for smashing the door down I haven't. No, no, I haven't seen Oh, my God, mate. We've got to put that out as a social clip. So he's standing in the room just going, ah, ah, and like smashing himself in the head, like bashing himself in the head over and over and running frantically on the spot and just kind of like they're saying, okay, we're going to go in two minutes. And he just is, he's just in this weird haze of just being like, just so like, animalistic and almost kind of like a werewolf sort of just Mm. like completely crazed and like his hairs all over the place and he's holding the axe and like practice swinging the axe and there's a props guy who tries to walk past him and he almost takes his head off because he's just so in the zone of it so imagine that that you don't know what's coming and then he like he's that on edge and so ready to go that he sort of smashes through the door and comes through like that. You just like, it's, it's that weird thing, right? Uh, it's one of the things, sorry to go for like, Oh, I spoke to my mate blah, 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 about this. <laughs> I, I asked, I asked Jill Scott about being on, I'm a celebrity when she gets, when you're asked to do the challenges, right? You know, when you're like, Oh, I'm like, she was doing one challenge where she was standing on top of this thing and she was being dangled over the edge of this sort of almost like a cliff face, right? That she's on a platform and it was like the first challenge I had to do. And she'd be dangled off the edge of this thing, sort of facing a huge drop. And I was like, do do you know you're safe? Like, she was like, well, I kind of thought like, they're not going to let me die on TV, are they? But you still think like, if something went wrong, I might absolutely screwed here you know and it's it's that classic thing is like yeah you're acting and yeah you're sort of in the zone but there's also a guy standing there with a huge axe and he's acting like a maniac even when you're in pre-rehearsal phase Mm -hmm. like the the terror of that must be just unreal like unfathomable like she probably got to the end of filming that and thought like just 
get me the hell out of here. Because mm. you, like the, the actual place that they did it in, um, the location that they did it in was an actual, it was like sort of an actual kind of replica of a hotel. Um, she probably was like, she probably was just absolutely, just consistently bricking it. Like, and it, I mean, it's hard to know how much, you know, I, I can only speculate, so I can't, you know, go on record and say that it's because of this, but, you know, um, Shelley Duval since has had many, you know, mental health issues and I think is still kind of battling, uh, that now, I don't know, I don't know if you saw there's a particularly sort of controversial, uh, little period where Dr. Phil wheeled her out and basically was like, oh, go on, say something crazy. Do you know what I mean? And I think she was talking about Robin Williams, um, his his death being a hoax, you know, a kind oh, of a, a psyop and, you know, turning it into Ooh. entertainment and stuff. So I think she's struggled ever since. And it's hard to know how much, you know, the treatment and what took place on this film, um, how much that impacted that. You know, um, her casting, I have to say her casting was like absolutely incredible. If you sort of take away, this is, this is before the, before the start of the performance. She is like perfectly sort of the look that she has in the film. She's just absolutely ideal for that character. Even the way that they kind of like dress her, the, the, the costume and stuff, they make her look they make her look physically vulnerable always. Mm. And like the way that she speaks and she's very soft in terms of her tone. Like she, ju you just feel like she's, and she shows an, by the end, she shows an unbelievable strength. And that was one of the things that, that, that the film does really well in the end is that it shows her to be sort of, they even say it, don't they? It's, um, it's the, the the butler character sort of says, like, perhaps we've underestimated your wife and or, or your wife's strength or something like that, which mm. is quite quite interesting. Delbert Grady says, oh, we, we've underestimated her and perhaps you've underestimated her. And he's, then he sort of says, I'll take care of it. Um, that that kind of leads us on quite nicely um, to the hotel. Um, this was a really cool point that you that you raised um, about the hotel being a character of in itself. Talk us through that. Well, I mean, I guess it's you know, Scatman Crothers at the very top makes the point, doesn't he? That you know, I have the shining, you have the shining, and sometimes it's not just people. Sometimes buildings have uh, have the shining as well. That the the house bears these scars. Um, and I, I guess it opens up this this real this real interesting avenue that we start to question what 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 is actually going on here, right? Because we know Danny has the shining, but does is is it a haunted house? Is does Jack Torrance also have the shining and he doesn't realise it? As you know, as Scatman Crothers has, has said, can be a possibility. Is the is the house's shining starting to bleed into Danny's, or is it starting to bleed into Jack's and create something? I don't know, but it it, it for me there's there's it's where to really start with this, mate. Because let's let's take let's take for example the first scene where Jack Torrance first sees a ghost, the barman, right? Yes, goes into the main bar room. The barman is there, and they start not in this scene in particular, but 
they go on to say when he's at the party, your money's no good here, you know? And he's kind of like, why? And it's like, yeah, the orders come on from from up high sort of thing. But from who? The oh, house? I love that. I love that. He wants to, you I know, love he wants to so keep him pissed. He wants to keep him there. And, you know, like you say with, with Grady, you've always been the caretaker, you know? It's, yeah. What, oh, what do, I mean, I, I think I'm jumping ahead a bit no, here. No, 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 it's perfect, it's perfect. Let, but it, but let's it's, do them one by one. Well, because for me, I guess in terms of like, my, my point is really with the hotel potentially being a character, right? Is, is what's happening to Torrance what happened to Grady? And if so, why is this happening at that place? We can talk about, yeah, there's all these different elements to it. We can talk about the kind of the, you know, the abusive male, the obsessive male, the psychopathic male as well, all these different things. But whatever it is, this house seems to have some sort of effect on them, right? And some of it is all very human, very explainable, but some of it also feels quite supernatural. So if the house is a character, is it is it getting these men as their foot? So is, is it harvesting souls? What is it doing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I think, I'll just give you my takes on it, right? So I think you asked like some very good questions there that I think depending on how you view, viewed the film, there, there could be four or five different, completely different answers. So I think Jack doesn't have The Shining, but I think the hotel is supernatural. And I think there is a kind of like a theme around, like, I think it's sort of around reincarnation maybe and him being him being sort of linked to the hotel one way or the other like he had no choice over it and that he is a part of the hotel and he just can't help but return to the hotel and i think he is a version of that um grady character you know he's just kind of like the newest version of him that's come coming back but i think the hotel also wants danny I think it wants the, it's sort of drawn to, I think the hotel is a character in itself. I think you're totally right. Um, uh, I, but I think it wants Danny, it wants to kind of like take hold of him and kind of utilize his shining um, or his shine or whatever you, you would call it. Um, and because one of the other things that kind of rattled me a little bit was like this idea that he's like, he hasn't had a drink and then suddenly he's sitting with a glass of whiskey and then she comes in and there's no one there and there's no one in the ballroom and there's no alcohol on the shelves. And they make it very clear that there isn't anything. I can't remember what the reasoning was. They sort of say there's no alcohol kept on the premises or something like that since, maybe since that he sort of lost his, uh, since he lost his mind and, and, and killed his children. Um, it was insurance so purposes, wasn't it? They said. Oh, insurance. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause it burned but- down. With the whiskey, okay, so because this is an interesting one, right? It's obviously, it's a manifestation of what he wants, right? Again, it's this obsession. It's this, I, his, his want to have a drink. We understand he's got a, 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 a dodgy relationship with alcohol, right? Which has culminated in the abuse of Danny on a previous occasion. But what he's thinking at that moment, in that stressed moment, when he's talking about that bitch, you know, kind of out to get him kind of thing. All he wants is that whiskey. Do you, when he's writing his book or working no play makes Jack a dull boy, to him, is he writing a book? 
Is it is it the same as this whiskey? You know, we're talking about this obsession, his, his obsession for wanting to have a yeah, drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This manifestation of wanting to have a drink. When he sat there looking at these pages and pages and pages on his work, is do you think do you think he thinks he's writing a book? Yeah, I think he probably thinks that he is. When he's sitting there typing away, because if you look, they're all in different formatting. Yeah. So I think he probably. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I, I think so too, and it's so. I mean, I think to me, like, it's such a, it's such a subtle and it's such an understated, like, piece of horror. And I, I don't, I don't want to get too wanky about it, but I do think, you know, it's going to be one of those things. It is, it's a sophisticated scare. It's not something that yeah. everyone's going to be like, oh, wow, no, you know, where, why didn't a monster jump out or something? But it's the thought that he has been working on that for months He's been yeah. sat there typing away for months and it shows you suddenly that realisation to her that he's lost his mind and he has been losing his mind for months and I've been living with it. And I, it just sort of caught up with her. It's caught up with her how she has known that he's not right and she's just kind of chosen to ignore it because what else is she going to do? She's yeah, locked up with this guy in a remote hotel for seven <laughs> months. End of and he's already said to her, like, every time you come in here, you disturb me and I can't get back into my focused train of thought I need in order to write. And so the focused train of thought that he needed to be in was him sitting there with a typewriter writing the same thing over and over again for months on end. Like that is just, like you said, it's this idea of it being terrifying because of the layering that's gone on before, because of all the stuff that the hard work that they've done before, the legwork they've done before to kind of like create this tension. And then the reveal is like that. And it just keeps unfurling and unfurling. And she's revealing the pages and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then he kind of appears you know, I mean, that is magnificent. And it's like, I'm, go on, mate, go on. No, no, I, I was just, I am interested to know why you don't, why you completely rule out that he has The Shining. Because I'm, I'm not saying I'm the other way entirely, but I think this time watching it, probably out of any other time I could remember, I was thinking, does he have The Shining, actually? Is this something I've missed the whole time? So this is a really interesting thing. I think that the I think that the hotel is utilizing him to get to Danny, who has the shining. Mm. You know, I feel like he's just a conduit through which they're kind of like taking advantage because it feels as though he's being manipulated throughout the entirety of the film, and at no point does he ever seem to have that sort of um, that element of sight. You know, you you don't see any glimpses of him actually kind of like um you know when danny goes into that weird sort of like trance like state unless it's just completely different and for him well, it's like an see, experiential thing but this is the thing this this is it's literally that trance mate that made me think it a lot this time because you see it shortly after after danny's done that when um wendy and danny are outside playing you do see Jack Torrance in that kind of trance-like state in the in the main room. He's not doing his kind of thing. He's just standing there, sort of staring into space with that kind oh of gurn God. on his face. Yeah, that's such a good point where he's kind of got the eyes mm. down, sort of looking like... Um, 
Because oh, yeah. I was just the, the 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 thing that I I am interested in, and I have been riffing with in my head when I think about it is just this idea that because you know it's been said that some people don't realize they have the shining and it can scare them when they find out that they do if with Jack Torrance already being a pretty unstable guy that he goes to this place that is supernatural um that things do occur there that people who have the shining are going to be particularly sensitive mm, to mm. that if these powers start to kick off again this kind of the shining that he doesn't know he has if it's this that starts to really push him over the edge to really make him lose his mind because he doesn't know what the fuck's going on anymore because he doesn't know he has a shining. It hasn't been explained to him. He's probably never... Re- I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, so it's just something I'm kind of... This that, is there's, a real- there's a toxic culmination between him and the hotel that perhaps happened with Grady as well. But I so the, I actually have a really... I, I've got another little tidbit on this that I'll, I think is interesting on this. Sure. But just before I do, what um, would you then think that Grady has the shining or is he just a part of the hotel? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he is just a person that did a bad thing. So so let me I tell you what, I'm gonna chuck this in there first. This is this is an interesting discussion. So what are Lloyd Grady and whatever the hell is in room two three seven? Interesting. And what was that scene? Like, when I watched it, I was just like what is this, man? Like, because they were like, the, don't go the into lady that room. in room 237. Oh, oh man. Well, I, I was always assuming that room 237 was where Grady put the bodies of his family, right? Because they said he chopped them all up and then neatly arranged them into a room. Right. I, okay. That's what I guess 237 was. So 237 almost becomes like the hub of evil, some kind of, you know. I don't know, but the, you know, because people they, they very very purposely say you know the film was buried uh, on top of an old ancient burial Indian burial ground. ground. Yeah. yeah. So you get the feeling that there's there's a, and this this all ties back into that idea of like cyclical abuse, which I think is you know we talk about generational abuse. We talk about generational trauma that is passed down. That is that house passing down its own sense of trauma to people that is affecting them spanning from like we say this this native american genocide that uh, has occurred on the, on the land i know that is one of the the, yeah. the popular theories that that surrounds the film that it, it that it's kubrick making a point about the foundation of america and what the you know the nice trappings are all built upon um yeah and and there is there is something in that as well in this kind of like is that potentially his wife that's in there, like decomposing? You know, Grady's wife is in, mm. in that room, potentially. And like, also that, the idea that he's going to, would you say, commit adultery? Like, he's going to mm. have an affair in, in theory, kind of like with the with, woman in with that. With this apparent mad woman who's just tried to strangle his son as well. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, it is... That scene really scared me. I just found it really horrible. I was just like, Oof. and then like she's sort of like decomposing in front of him and laughing at him, and he's like, Ugh. and then it's like, well, why are you afraid? You know, you, like I think that was quite scary in itself. The guy that is completely losing it 
is then in fear of something. It's like, wow, this is really sort of messed up. And one other little caveat that I'll just go back to very quickly before we move on. I noticed there is a discussion on the, you know, that scene that we were talking about where Shelley Duvall's character runs up the stairs mm. and she sees the bear, what looks like sort of having oral sex with the, with a, someone in a full kind of like, they're kind of like in a dinner suit. Yeah. That supposedly there is, there is a discussion there around that being, um, that meant to be a, a sort of a, a, a kind of, a kind of, what would you call it? Like a little breadcrumb to let you know that the abuse of Danny has been actually worse than just physical harm. God. Yeah. And that because throughout the film, Danny is covered in bears in on his jumpers, on his t-shirts, on his, um, on, on like his just general appearance. Um, and so, because it is so not in keeping, right. You just sort of see it and you're like, what the hell? I mean, it's supernatural and weird, but there is a, like, I, I, I need to do some more research on it. But I saw it talked about in a couple of different articles and on, on a video as well, saying that that is like a very deliberate inclusion within the film. Um, and and that if you sort of go back, it's a kind of like supposedly is a kind of it's alluding to the fact that Jack might actually be beyond just someone who has a problem with alcohol and someone who's like not necessarily a great father he's actually more abusive than than we're let on to now this actually sorry go on mate go on well i just want to say there is one crucial part with because i know you said you wanted to move on but i do think there's one crucial bit that we are missing in the whole jack torrance conversation as well go that's on. the photograph the photograph at the oh very my end, god mate. yeah 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 now I, i've looked this up and see this this was quite interesting because Kubrick's take on this, Kubrick, when he was asked, he was essentially making the point that, yeah, he's just a reincarnation of this person <laughs> from this dinner party or whatever, that he was a caretaker and he's a caretaker again and it's it's showing you this kind of cycle. People all end up back at the, at the hotel. And that just seemed a bit weird to me. Um, I sort of took it in a much more metaphorical way in that, you know, because he died there, he'd become a part of it. He'd become part of the fabric of the hotel, you know? Um, but I didn't realise it was supposed to be a bit more literal than that. And it made a bit less sense to me um, yeah. when it was put it, that way. Well, I didn't... I, I couldn't grasp that, but that was I found it really hard at the end when it kind of like zoomed in and then it, cause it does like a cut zoom, doesn't it? Sort of a jump zoom and really focuses on him and you're sort of like, what... I still don't know what it's supposed to be because I'd because I would assume that like you've always been the caretaker here. I'd assume it's kind of like a that he's making a journey back and this is a journey he'll do over and over again just in different reincarnations. But then it wouldn't look like him, right? Mm. Like it wouldn't necessarily look like him. It'd be different people each time. So I found that bit a bit strange. I couldn't sort of get my head around it. That was that was still didn't quite, still didn't quite sort of, I yeah I just couldn't square it away, um, but I it, 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 it like there was enough in itself 
I think there was enough in itself within the in the film for you to be like, what what was he a part of the hotel? Was he not? Did he have the shiny? Did he not? Was he just someone who was kind of like losing his mind because of the isolation, or was he actually kind of in touch with these kind of evil spirits? But it was that 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 ending point just kind of threw me again this time because I didn't know where that kind of came in. Um, I quite like the fact though that it's a film that. It can it can affect so many people in so many different ways. It can be scary. And really, you don't really have a clear... And I don't think anybody really has a clear definitive take on what the film is actually about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, it, 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 it's absolutely... Like, it's so brilliant for that. And it's... I'll, t- I'll tell you this thing about Stephen King because this is like really closely linked to all of this. So even Stephen King, who wrote it, was completely at odds with what Kubrick did. He hated it, didn't he? Yeah, so he hated it, but he hated it. One of the primary reasons that he hated it is because he felt that um, the character of Jack was uh, was not actually as flawed as um as Kubrick made him out to be so there was there's this really great interview with him where basically he says um that Stanley Kubrick called him and said oh it's 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 uplifting right and he's like what he said it's uplifting that um there there is all these ghosts and spirits and stuff and then Stephen King was like why is it uplifting and he said because it is it proves that there is such a thing as the afterlife. Um, and then Stephen King's response is that, well, that's one way of looking at it. The other way you can look at it is, is that it's the proof of the existence of hell and that the punishment of being in hell might be that you are forever condemned to be a ghost <laughs> or a spirit. or the, and, then, and then apparently Kubrick was like, I don't believe in hell. And then they just sort of, sat in silence for a bit with this complete kind of like mm. almost almost a standoff of two incredibly strong creatives that have a very different vision for what it was going to be. Um, and, and Stephen King uses this amazing analogy. He said that the way that he designed the character of Jack Torrance is that he wanted him to be bent like a piece of metal by yeah, the hotel. That it was the hotel that made him the way he was. Whereas Kubrick has had a guy with his own baggage coming into this yeah. situation, right? That's it. And then in the book, he's um, burned alive by the, like, until he dies, obviously. But um, the, the hotel was burnt down. In the film, he's frozen. And he said that that was very metaphorical, but also like a very literal embodiment of the way that Stephen King saw it and the way that Kubrick saw it. And he didn't like that Kubrick's take on Jack was so cold, that he was so kind of like, this was a descent into like this guy losing his mind, like because he was so flawed as an individual, not because of the forces of the hotel and it being supernatural. Um, and so I, that kind of led uh, led me there. But with that last, I think that kind of in, in, had an impact on my opinion because he was saying kind of like, oh, well, he's this and he's that. He's he's actually not. The, it's the hotel that's done it to him, as opposed to this guy sort of being in this position anyway. And then that kind of, I think that kind of had an impact on whether I think he has the ability to shine or not, 
But now you, I, I'm in that horrible position. Like now you've said it, I'm now going to go and rewatch it and be like, oh my God, he could the whole time. And I've just mm. completely missed it. And I've just looked at it in a different way. But I don't even know if I fully think that he does or not. Because like you say, toward the end, like with the, you know, whole kind of blowjob bear at the end, you, uh, it, Wendy sees it, you know? So yeah. the, the manifestations are coming to life. She sees all those skeletons sat inside the you know inside the ballroom when she goes back down sees all yeah, those so cobwebs everywhere point. the I bloody mean, lift bit, you know that bit what's the lift thing like what I, I i maybe i just missed something completely here but i still don't know what it is because it's just something scary in it <laughs> <laughs> and a cool not, shot not everything not everything needs yeah. to have a reason I mean, it's, it's got to be one of the most iconic shots in film history incredible though, right yeah, and it, it's um, just. But there is a lot of that. To be fair, it's the same like you said when they go into the um, when they go into the ballroom and it's just covered in the dead bodies, and she sort of sees it, and it's like, okay, this is really quite scary. And the labyrinth stuff as well is just magnificent. I mean, yeah. it's very sort of literal thing, but it is magnificent. You want to talk about the score, mate? And I'm very aware that I haven't sort of got onto this. Uh, I, I just, I just think it's it's magnificent, mate. I think the it's one of the main pillars of tension throughout the entire film, right? The, the kind of the heartbeat synth type noise, the high discordant, um, just one note that will like come in, in, in some scenes, like for example, when he is going into room two, three, seven, that immediately makes you as a viewer feel physically uncomfortable. It just yeah. completely sets the scene, right? But it, but it's, it's, um, it's it just it's 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 one of those um it's one of those films that obviously music in films is a motive. It helps paint the story, it helps paint the picture, and we feel kind of, you know, warm feelings or whatever to it. But I think something like that, the sound that's used in this where it almost becomes there's there's a sense of and I'm sorry to go wanky with this, but there's a sense that like of of like physicality of the film actually transcending coming through the screen and touching you and affecting you because this sound is so horrible that it does it it just kind of it 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 it, it almost possesses you in a way do you know what yeah. i mean and it really heightens what you're seeing on screen it, i think i just think it's honestly like magnificent i think it's so well done the bit with the the um kind of ghost like music playing when he's in the ballroom and yeah. it's kind of like hazy and very kind of eerie so that it, it's basically doing a lot of the work for you it's letting you know that this is not really happening but it is happening you know because you can't you can't place yourself and then when it goes into the the bathroom uh, the, the the kind of restrooms or whatever and it's kind of continues in there and they're having this conversation and you're like I have no idea whether this is actually happening or not. You know, it's it's magnificent. And when it starts kicking off, you know, really like using those psycho yeah, sharp big synth, violins, violins like, vroom, yeah. vroom, you know, when something yeah. bad is happening. Oh. Yeah, oh. Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind for the uh or Elkind, I don't know if you how you pronounce yeah. it, but uh yeah, really just it's again, it's one of those elements where the the sound doesn't just accompany the film the sound is very much a part of the film 
It's almost yeah, we're talking about the hotel being a character. The sound design is almost another character in there. Very much it's, so. Yeah, a hundred percent. I thought. Right. Who who wins it? MVP wise. Uh, all day long, Jack Nicholson for me. All day. Long. I thought you might go Shelley J- Shelley Duvall. We have to give her the assist, and then I, we haven't really spoken yeah. about Danny Torrance as well. But I mean, for a child actor, like amazing, absolutely amazing. I mean, to think, mate, I don't know how kid, old he was at the time. If your kid starts saying to you, "I'm talking to Tony," you would. I, <laughs> I mean, I have a big imagination. I'm a big kid myself. It would scare the shit out of me. It, Do you know oh what I mean? My God, and also that like. They so here's a weird thing, right? So Stanley Kubrick is like destroying Shelley Duvall's, like she systematically just breaking her down. Apparently, they were like at pains to make sure that Danny Torrance didn't have a bad experience. Really? That he came away from it, and he didn't know what his lines meant. Like they didn't try in any way to give him context. They just kind of like let him say his lines. And so just took him out and took him in and took him out and took him in. And I don't know whether they still had it. I remember when I was working in like on, on dramas, I remember there used to be really specific rules around how long you could have children on set for. And they could come in for like 15 minutes at a time or 20 minutes at a time. And then they, they weren't allowed to sort of be there any longer and they weren't allowed to miss school time, things like that. So I do wonder whether there was something like that going on here. But, um, but yeah, apparently Stanley Kubrick was very sensitive to it. Can I just say on this note, like on, well, not on this note in particular, but going back to the character of Danny Torrance, I do what I do want to share an interesting little family anecdote from this. So Go on. my, uh, my cousins, um, my cousin's child, um, Olive, when she was much younger, um, it was, it was, it was my, my cousin, Daniel, his, his wife, Kate told us this story when we were at like one of the family gatherings once we were talking about like scary films, scary, scary stories and stuff. And she was like, well, try living with Olive who I think when she was about three or four at the time, um, when Kate would be putting her to bed, she would say night to Kate, good night. And then as Kate was leaving, she'd be saying night, night. And Kate would come back in and say, who, who are you talking to Olive? And she would do this every single time. And basically, it, it got to the point when Olive was saying, she was saying goodnight to the old lady in the corner. And so Kate was like, okay, well, uh, yeah, okay, well, that's nice. Um, and would immediately be leaving the room like, what? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what, that what's is going horrifying. on here? So, that's but, but genuinely she, horrifying. She started to probe it because she said that sometimes, like when they'd be, she'd be walking through the house Olive would just be like looking and Kate would be like is it the old lady and Olive would say yeah and Kate would sort of say what what's she doing and she'd say she's just watching us and she's crying do you know what I mean this type of stuff oh. and it's like yeah <laughs> and yeah and Kate said it oh. Kate said it got to a point when this stuff was like it was it kept happening with Olive so much so um I'm not really sure what actually, I, I didn't ask her what Kate's opinions on, on Faith are, but she oh. said that it got so bad that she actually took her mother's old crucifix and put it in the corner where the old lady was, no apparently was, because she was like, this is actually, I'm having to keep it together because this is my child. I'm the mother here. I have to be her safe space, her sanctuary. But this is terrifying me. That is absolutely you know? mental. That yeah. is, oh my God. That is literally horrible. Like that is just horrible. Can yeah. You 
that's just that you just that's the the, just please i I don't even want to imagine what that's that like i I, I, I I do have one other one as well which which is it's again it's another creepy one but it's my um my younger sister's boyfriend and he's actually showed us the photograph there's a picture that his father took of him and his twin sister in their beds um and you can just see like there's just a sort of blurry but there's a blurry like look of just a pair of feet like standing because the the shot is down them they've got mattresses on the floor and standing beside them it looks like is this blurry pair of feet but it's it's not clearly defined but it kind of you know it's one of those things it could be a trick of the light or whatever but it's still it's a pretty Oh, horrible image no it's just grim yeah, you know, this is what, this like what we're that. talking about with the conjuring it's that stuff yeah. of like I just don't want to I just don't want to like please yeah. when I have kids can they not say hello to the old lady in the corner like, I really don't want that at all there's, there's that brilliant have you ever seen the um the Simpsons episode when Homer has to look after the kids <laughs> for um for the evening because Marge I, I think she's doing a night course or something like that and Homer's like <laughs> Homer's lying in bed and Lisa just comes in and says, Dad, I've had a nightmare. And he's like, oh, it's fine, Lisa, go back to bed. And she's like, I want to, but, you know, I just, I had a dream about the boogeyman. And Homer straight away like, what? Boogeyman? Ah!" (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, starts running around the house. He goes into Bart's room. He's like, Bart, I don't mean to alarm you, but we may have a situation with a boogeyman or boogeymen in the house. And I'm like, that is me. That is totally me. That is so spot on, man. That is so spot on. That is quality. Uh, um, yeah. right, Jack Nicholson MVP for me. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson MVP. wins it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, fine wine, a war crime. I uh, unfortunately, I'm probably going to have to say a bit veering towards war crime. The Shining. Um, you know, I, I love the film. It is one of my favourites. So I'm a hypocrite. You know, I and I think this is this is why we do this section, right? Fine wine, mm. a war crime. We've said this from the very beginning. It's never to say, you know. We're not doing this to say, oh, these bad things happen in this film and you're bad if you watch it. I think we all appreciate that life makes hypocrites of us all. We watch films with, or television programs that probably have actors that have done awful things in their private lives, said awful things. And, you know, it's 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 very hard to switch off your feelings for music, for film, for TV, for literature, for anything when those figures, you know, separating the art from the artist, as we're talking about already, it's, it's a very complex moral quandary that I don't think anybody has a full grip on yet. Um, but just for like you say, from when I really fully read the uh, the stuff with Shirley Duvall, it, it's, it's one of those things, like you said, you can't unhear it, you can't unsee it. Um, what I would also say is um, that I see you've got highlighted on the running order because I, I did want to say it. I really do think um, Grady's use of the m-word in the film it feels it felt totally gratuitous bizarre completely bizarre and charlotte and i were talking about this we we were wondering like is is the yeah were the filmmakers trying to show that grady is an unpleasant character you can see jack torrance's reaction to that is actually one of shock he seems quite surprised like quite confused Mm. that that word has been used but then echoes it uses the word himself so yeah that's maybe not as clear that's maybe doing too much uh heavy lifting for the intentions of the of the you know again 
1980. It's not. It's not kind of one of those things. Oh, it was just a bit different back then. It was. It was. If it was. If it was a, an attempt to try and show that Grady was from the 1920s. I still think it was heavy-handed. I still did, did, think I, it was unnecessary. I thought Grady committed the, the atrocities in the night. Didn't they say the winter of 1970? Uh, this is again why the photograph yeah. thing has confused me. Because the photograph, yeah. you're right, it is in the 20s. And so much of what's happening in the Overlook is set in the 20s. But again, maybe that is showing you that this has been going and going and going since that time. Either yeah. way, it's just unnecessary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got a to touch, that. if I can, like, not to kind of draw the comparison between the two, but we spoke about this with Pulp Fiction, right? Mm. It gave me a similar feel. You know, it's it like did. you've just used that word. Like, there was no need to use that. Um, uh, and, yeah, I, I do wonder this kind of, like... I, I need to know about... I need to know what the book says. You know, to see whether that was just a gratuitous inclusion, and whether um, whether Scatman Crothers was like whether it was necessary for him to. I think I think he does die in that way in the book. I think he does. Die, I think that is um, that is how he dies. Um, but I'd need to check that as well. Um, I also think that as well as we've spoken about with uh, with Forrest Gump. The, the the mystical M word trope is very much used in this film as well, um, yeah. which you know is is a dodgy one that we see all throughout um, cinema as well. Yeah, there is perhaps there's something in this as well in that like recently, I've been, Christina reads a lot of Stephen King books, and he is prolific. Like it's unbelievable. He's absolutely prolific. Um, he, he seems to be able to write just incredible stuff non-stop consistently just mm. over and over and over and, and and just has the ability to write hit after hit after hit and i also think there's perhaps another question maybe not for us to dive into now but i do think there's another question in there on the final one of war crime of whether it's aged well if the author of the book is saying that he doesn't like the creation and it's well, not to say that go on sorry just a quick google search there um Stephen King's novel, The Shining, the character Delbert Grady uses racial slurs, including the racial epithet, the M word, during a conversation with Jack Torrance. Uh, this particular scene is known for its disturbing and offensive language and is supposed to reflect Grady's deteriorating mental state within the context of the story. Um, it's worth noting that this language has been a subject of controversy and discussion within the novel um, and it plays a role in oh, illustrating okay. many of the dark and unsettling themes explored within the book and so perhaps that's part of the reason why it comes across in the way well, i don't think kubrick's film. justified it if we're talking about exactly. that, that this exactly. is in the book that king has used this and showed and explicitly stated that this is bad and the use of this word is to show this guy is unpleasant. Exactly. I exactly. don't think I don't think Kubrick has has. It definitely didn't feel like yeah. It did definitely feel that it, that in any way got to that place. Again, I hasten to say as well, not that I'm the arbiter of saying who gets to uh, for sure use it. You know. But it but it but it's but it doesn't feel like he got you. We just had a conversation about Grady to try and work out what he is, 
you know, to try and work mm. out where, where he even is. So if you can't even place him, then maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a misstep. Um, enjoyed that one, mate. Yeah, enjoyed that. I, I, yeah. I mean, great film for me. Um, I love it. It's one of, it's one of my very favorites of all time still. Uh, yeah. It was a pleasure to watch it back. Um, do you want to see the ratings? Big time. Right, so IMDb. What are you what are you gonna guess first of all, mate, while I get it up, so to I speak? I think it's I think it's a it's an eight. Eight something. You bang on the money, mate. It is an eight point four. Let's see IMDb that's gotta be IMDb's top two fifty, right? Um that has to be in there. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Let's see if it's made it. Let's see. Still scrolling. Still scrolling. Sorry, everybody. So The Shining, top 250, 64, number 64, just after Avengers Infinity War. Grow up. Jesus. Oh, I can't face that. Um, what do we have on... Um, you do Rotten Tomatoes, I'll do Meta. Rotten Tomatoes? Um... We have 83% certified fresh, 93% on the uh, on the audience ometer as well. Really weirdly on Metacritic, it's got 66%. Mate, Metacritic, time after time, honestly. Brutal. User score is 8.7. But um that's that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Still. Quality, mate. I enjoyed that one. Quality film and one I could watch forever and ever and ever. God, that, oh. those two are like, like they're creepy, aren't they, man? I feel like they we are. didn't talk about them enough. Yeah, you know. they are so creepy. Um, what have we got for us for next week? So, keeping in with Spooky Season, I, I, you know, there's a few old ones, there's a few classics I want to do, but I thought... We can't go from The Shining. We can't jump into another old one. Let's uh, let's keep it let's keep it hip and happening for these for the kids, eh? For these Gen Zs. Um, so I'm gonna go with it's it's another elevated horror, as they call it, and it's a it's a horror film that has come out in the past few years. I, I'm gonna say it's pushing ten years old now, but not quite. Um, really taking me by surprise at the time there's going to be a lot to unpack from it I think um, so I'm going to go with It Follows oh yes I did, in my head I thought you might go hereditary still but It Follows lovely shout and uh, I, I know producer Purdy big fan tossing up hereditary and also tossing up 28 days later but I thought let's, let's go It Follows because I think I think with It Follows there's some different themes and it's again it's a different film to these other two that we've watched so should we do 28 days later next week what after because i feel yeah like after we've done uh it follows i feel like we've got to do 28 days later because we did such talk up for it and and yeah, if we're going to okay. go through the different range of the horror films i feel like 28 days later is a is a good one to go for yeah yeah big time mate. yeah i'm on that i'm on that hello father you know, so, uh, get back um, yeah <laughs> very much buzzing for that one uh, remember to follow us at BYOB pod um, and we'll see you all next week <laughs>